Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. Hey guys, I want to share a quick testimony um, because when Mother's Day rolls around for many of us, like I said this morning, it brings great joy. And for some of us, it brings great sadness. Maybe your mom had passed away or you have a bad relationship with your mother or maybe you have the great desire to be a mom and you haven't gotten the chance. And I was just feeling um, that I should share something with you guys. I don't think I've ever told this story before, but when Allie was very young, she um, was diagnosed with POSC. Is that how you say it? Peace. Yeah, you guys know what it is more than I do. I didn't know what that was. Um, And she was told that she would probably not be able to have children. And if she did, she would run into um, quite a few complications. Her sister struggled with the same thing and had quite a few um, miscarriages and went many years without being able to have children. And one night we were at the Kimmer's house again. We'd never told anybody that we weren't, um, we knew we wanted kids, but we weren't to the place where we thought we would start trying. And um, our friend John Kay got this word where he came up and he said, I just keep hearing cyst and um, there's another word. What was that? Yeah, poly and cyst. I keep hearing poly and cyst. Do you know what that is? And I was like, no, I don't know what that is. <laughs> and Allie walked over and she goes, oh, well, well, I have. And she told him the condition. And he goes, okay, let's pray. Let's pray for you. And um, he put his hand on her belly and he began to speak life. And, you know, um, the Lord looked at Leah with compassion and opened her womb. And I was pretty sure I didn't want to have kids for quite a few years. And that night, um, something changed in my heart where the Lord started to speak to me. And I told Allie, you know, I really feel like our day for children is coming soon. And when we had decided um, to start trying, we got pregnant the very first try. And it wasn't even a try. We're like, let's just come off birth control and see what happens. Sorry, kids. And um, that's exactly what happened. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because it's by the word of our testimony, all right? And I believe that the Lord wants to look at some people with compassion and open their womb, okay? Because he is a good, good father. And every single time he walked into complication when Jesus walked the earth, every single time the answer was healing. It's just whether or not we can actually get in contact with Jesus. And I just believe we are meant to ask for healing this morning. All right, so if it's okay with you, um, I'm gonna pray for you. And if you're one of those people that you wanna have kids, I just ask that you would um, just receive with your heart. And if you're not one of those people, I just ask that you would start to pray that the Father opens up the heavens and just rains down his Holy Spirit that we will be filled, that he will move upon us, that he'll move within us. So Father, we just speak healing in the name of Jesus, that you will move upon wombs with compassion like you did in the days of old, that things will start to work the way that they were created to. 
God, we speak healing in the name of Jesus. We speak healing in the name of Jesus. We come against worry. We come against fear, anxiety. We come against the idea that it's never going to happen to me. Mother's Day is for everybody else, but I'm never going to get to experience it. We come against that in the name of Jesus. We speak life and we speak hope. We speak life and we speak hope. All right, so I just believe that the Lord wants to move, and I hope that it's for you. All right, you still have to go home and practice. It's not going to be like Jesus, all right? So you guys go home and you practice, 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 and I believe the Lord wants to move upon you and give you the great joy of children. Before we sit down, would you guys just open up your, your hands and just say, Lord, I want whatever you have for me. God, you are so good. You are so good. I want to know you. God, as we open your word this morning, I ask that you would reveal who you are, that you would reveal your nature and your character, that we wouldn't settle for religion or culture, but we would be captivated by you, by who you are and what you do. We give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory in your name. Amen. Guys, I'm so excited. I don't know why I'm so excited. Probably because I have a boatload of scripture, okay? That's probably why I get really excited when I get to talk about a whole lot of the scripture. So I'm just really excited to talk about um, my message this morning. And you guys are a captive audience. So it's so exciting for those of us that just have a big mouth. It's really exciting to have a captive audience. So thank you. It's, it's a great joy. I'm really looking forward to it. So we're going to read a passage of scripture. All right. My name's Corey. In case you didn't know, hello. So excited to have you. All right. I'm excited. So we're going to get into it. All right. So we're going to read a passage of scripture and then I'll give you our title and topic for this morning, all right? But first, we're going to read a piece of scripture out of Mark chapter 2, okay? One of the Gospels. And this is verse 15 that we're going to start in, and we're going to read two verses, all right? It's on the screen, and if you guys want to pull it up, um, personally, I'm reading out of NLT. Um, So here we go, all right? It says, later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. He said, I have come to call those, to not call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. He's looking for those that know that they are sinners. And that's why John says in his first letter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if we claim that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Because one of the requirements to entering into the kingdom is realizing our need for God. The scripture says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. So one of the requirements into his kingdom to, in order to get through the gates is to realize that I have fallen short 
to humble myself and realize my need for God. That's one of the, the requirements into the kingdom. And as Jesus said, I have come not for those that think they're healthy, but for those that know that they aren't. He's come as a doctor. All right, so this morning I have an extremely uplifting and exciting Mother's Day message for you, and our topic is going to be on sin. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly what every other church in the world is talking about on Mother's Day, and I'm just excited that I can do it as well. And you might wonder, Why did it happen like that, Corey? And the answer is, I'm not too sure. I tried quite a few other topics, and the scripture just kept leading me down this road. So I am being serious, though. It really will be uplifting and exciting. I promise you will receive no condemnation from me. But what I want to talk about is how we should handle those that are living in sin because I wanna make sure that our lives are a reflection of Jesus and not a Pharisee. How many of you guys wanna make sure that your life is a reflection of Jesus and not a Pharisee? Because it sounds really good, right, to think, well, the Pharisees are judgmental and, and Jesus is just loving and invites everyone to the table, and it's such an easy um, pill to swallow when you're reading. But at least for me, maybe you won't agree, but when I start to imagine it, the pill gets a little bit larger. When I start to imagine that there's this man claiming to be the son of God, and he comes and starts eating, which is a way to enter into friendship with people, the ESV says that he would recline with sinners. He was reclining with sex sex workers, he was reclining with notorious thieves, with corrupt, politicians that were stealing from the people and that when they couldn't pay these outrageous percentages, they would throw them out on the street. So here are the Pharisees that believe that they know and understand the scripture and they're looking at a man that is spending all of his time with people like this. And I wonder, does that pill get a little bit bigger for you? Because it's really easy to read, oh, well, Jesus just hung out with sinners. But then I wonder how often we aren't really building bridges like Jesus was, but we spend our time building fences. And I want to make sure that you and I are treating people the way that Jesus did. All right, so how should we treat those that are living in sin? And the truth is, I've heard a few stories um, as of late that have really weighed heavy on my heart, and I just wanna make sure that, again, we're not a reflection of culture or religion, but we are a reflection of scripture and of who God truly is. So that's kind of our, our goal for today. And you see, you don't have to read too far into the gospels to find that this is the way that Jesus spent his time. And you don't have to read too far. All of us want to reflect Jesus, and as the scriptures say, to live as he lived, but I fear all, I fear all too often when it comes to the topic of sin, we reflect the Pharisee more than Jesus. And maybe that's just me, but I find that it's so easy to judge the songs that people sing at the Grammys and to build these massive fences and to point out people's sin because we believe that it's our job whenever Jesus was inviting them into his home to eat with them. So so this is my question. Again, no condemnation, no shame. 
But over the last year, over the last two years, again, because we want to reflect Jesus, not the Pharisees, how many sinners have you sat down with? Because this is the large portion of Jesus' ministry was living with people that were doing wrong, not so that he could affirm them, not so that he could be like them, but so that he could invite them into a new way of life. And he did it through love and through friendship. Because the word says it's his kindness that leads them to repentance. It's his kindness. And somewhere along the way, I feel like we got it mixed up with it's our judgment that leads us to (laughs) repentance. I don't know about you, but I've never seen someone's judgment lead someone to repentance. And my fear is that sometimes myself and sometimes what I see in the church is it's not our kindness that's going out in front of us. It's not our kindness that we're known for, it's actually our judgment that we're known for. And if that's the case, we aren't reflecting Jesus at all, we're actually reflecting the Pharisees. And I wanna make sure that you and I are not building fences, but we are building bridges. So we are called not to condemn, as Jesus reveals in chapter eight with the woman in the well, John chapter eight, but to love. You know, Jesus looks at the woman. Again, Jewish culture, by law, men were not allowed to look in the direction of of women in public. Never mind a woman that was caught in the act I heard it takes two, but the woman was caught in the act of adultery, thrown, and by law, she was to be killed. And Jesus bends down and goes, I don't condemn you. But what does he do? He doesn't affirm her sin. He doesn't justify her sin. He loves her through her sin and goes, go and sin no more. And this is where I see a great conflict on this topic is because there's either people that judge people in their sin or there's people that affirm people in their sin. You see, we are called not to affirm people in sin but to love them through it because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Neither do I condemn you. So if you wanna reflect Jesus and not the Pharisees, you need to make sure that you do not have a condemning heart. When someone sings a song on TV or when your coworker does something nasty and shameful, whatever it might be, we need to make sure that our heart is one of kindness and love and not one of judgment. Because I fear all too often we're not reflecting Jesus, we're reflecting Pharisees. And we say with our heart that we're honoring God, with our mouths that we're honoring God, and we do the same exact thing that the Pharisees did in scripture time and time again. We build fences and never create any bridges. Because again, the great commission to go into the world and create disciples of all nations, your judgment is not going to create friendships. It is your table that will create them. It is inviting them in, sitting them down, and not affirming their sin, but loving them through it. I wonder how many people in the last year have you loved through sin? How many people in the last five years have you gotten to pour your heart out to? to show them that there's a better way to life, but no matter what they do, they're gonna receive love and support from you. 
even though you don't agree with them, even though you don't affirm them, how many people have you done that with? Because the truth is, that's what Jesus did time and time and time again. All right. So, we're going to answer three questions today, okay? The first one is, how should we treat those that are living in sin? That was kind of my answer, okay? I hope you guys grasp it there. The answer is that we love people well. All right, we have to love people well. But you see, Paul reveals there's a great distinction. Are you ready? Seatbelt. There is a great distinction between unbelievers living in sin and believers living in sin, okay? So we want to make sure that we address the distinction because we don't want our opinions and our actions to be formed by culture or religion. We want our opinions and our actions to be formed by Scripture, Okay, so we need to make sure that the way that we act is coming from our knowledge of what he said. Okay, so we're going to read our second passage for today, and it's 1 Corinthians 5.9. This is your boy Paul talking. If you are here last week, we really went through the life of Paul, and that's what we're going to be reading as his letter to the church of Corinth, all right? So he says, when I wrote to you before, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. It's on the screen. Here we go. You, you might not be able to keep up with me, guys. You might just have to look at the screens today. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy, cheap people who worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like this. Look at this. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin, who is greedy, worships idols, who is abusive or a junkard, drunkard, or who cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. And he says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. God will judge those on the outside, but the scriptures say you must remove the evil person from among you. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) So glad you could join us. It isn't my responsibility to judge others, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church. You probably heard the quote, you might have said it yourself, only God can judge me. If you are an unbeliever, it couldn't be more true. If you are a Christian, it couldn't be more false. The second you walked into the gate and second you walked into the kingdom, you decided to walk into a culture where you are meant to rebuke others. Again, through the lens of grace, love, honor, and respect. And coming up, maybe next week, we're going to talk about how you can rebuke people through grace, love, and affection. But um, today, we're just we're answering the question, how should we treat people that are believers that are living in sin? And the answer is you are not meant to affirm them. You're meant to rebuke them. Through grace, love, and affection. We'll talk about that more next week. And, um, but our, our next question, okay? And there's a whole lot of scripture that can support that, but I got like 23 verses to read today. So we'll save that for next week, okay? So um, our next question is, what is sin? Okay, because I've noticed people get a little bit iffy on the topic, right? No one really likes to talk about sin because people feel condemned and hurt. Like I said, you guys are feeling uplifted so far. Just wait, all right? It's it's good stuff, I promise. What is sin? 
okay? It's commonly defined, sin is knowing something is wrong and doing it anyway. Sin is knowing something is wrong and doing it anyway, all right? You ready? You can't sin by accident. You can make a mistake but you can't sin by accident because sin is a heart problem. That's why the scripture says, um, I believe it's Romans 5, that when the law was given, sin increased because sin could not be counted as sin until a law was given. All right, now the law has been given. Um, Paul said in Romans 14, um, this is when he's talking about food laws. I, oh, yeah, I put it up there. This is when he's talking about food laws, and he's explaining to people that you're no longer bound by the law, that you can eat whatever you want, all right? But he says, but if you have any doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, all right? Are you grasping what just happened? He's saying it's not sinful to eat these things. But if you feel conviction in your heart and you do it anyway, it is a sin, because sin is believing something is wrong and doing it anyway. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Sin is believing and knowing something is wrong and choosing to do it anyway. That's what sin is. You see, there's this great Houdini act by the devil. What he tries to do is he tries to convince you and me that sin is temptation. All right, and the reason why he does this is because when you believe, if you believe that temptation is sin, I wrote something good down here, where is it? <laughs> I don't know, it's something good. There's something along the lines of, if, if you believe that temptation is sin, you will stop fighting the moment you believe you've been defeated. Pretty sure that was it. That was very good, right? You will stop fighting the moment that you believe you've been defeated. All right, I have a, a pastor friend, and whenever we do counseling with other um, young guys or men, he always tells this story. And he says, when I was saved, I began to live differently, and I had to choose to hold my thoughts captive. And he said, I struggled with a lot of lust, like many men do. And he said, when I chose to hold my thoughts captive, when I became a believer, I was walking through the store, and he used some different words, but there was a beautiful woman with, um, with lots of curves, <laughs> good curves, not bad curves. And he said, I had to make the decision, I'm gonna hold my thoughts captive. And he said, I would walk a few more steps and up oh, there would be two other things to look at. And I would go, I'm gonna hold my thoughts captive. And I would keep walking. And he said, if you believe that temptation is sin, the second you look, you'll think you've already fallen and you'll continue to walk in it. You see, if temptation is sin, then Jesus, our Messiah, has sinned. All right, there's a great distinction between temptation and sin. All right, you can be tempted to look and decide to turn away. And if you understand that you have not sinned yet, you'll still have something inside of you that wants to keep fighting. But the second you believe that you've already fallen, that you've already been defeated, you will stay in it. You see, I want to tell you guys something. Are you ready? Sin is not normal, all right? Sin is not normal. And we're gonna go through a lot of scripture if that makes your hair stand up on the back of your neck. Cancer is not normal, but it is common. Sin is common, but it is not normal. 
all right? And Paul makes a great distinction between the way that unbelievers behave and the way that believers behave. And that's what we're going to start to look at, okay? Because we're talking all about sin. Happy Mother's Day. Here we go. All right, so what does sin look like? Um, Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. This is what sin looks like. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition. And he goes on and on and on, drunkenness, wild parties. This is what sin looks like. All right, and then in Colossians chapter two, verse 11, he shows what happens when we change from death to life. How many of you guys know that you became a new creation the moment that you stepped into salvation? All right, can you guys say that again? If you're a believer, hope you are. We invite you in if you're not. I am a new creation. I am a new creation. All right, let's read Colossians chapter two, verse 11, when you came to Christ, when you came to Christ, again, he's showing that transition, Colossians 2, 11, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure, Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Because again, Christ didn't just die for us, he died as us. Our old man died in the grave. That's why we're a new creation. We were given new flesh. We were baptized and with him you were raised to life. With Christ we were raised to life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Look at this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. How many of you guys have been circumcised? <laughs> I'm sorry, it was, Paul, used, Paul used the analogy, not me, but I am going to run with it, so I hope you guys are okay with it. I've got one person that was okay with raising their hand. Guys, this, this is scripture, okay? I'm allowed to read it. If you, if you feel uncomfortable by the word, I promise you in 15 minutes, you won't, <laughs> all right? You won't, okay? I won't use the person that raised their hand. I'll use my son because he's too young to know what in the world is going on, all right? So we had our son circumcised, all right? And when he was circumcised, again, I'm sorry, we're all adults here. The foreskin was removed, all right? So when he was circumcised, before he had a foreskin, now he doesn't. All right, this is really deep. Are you guys following me? All right, after he had his circumcision, and some of you guys that have had little boys and gotten this done, you know what the doctor tells you. He, he brought us aside and he showed us and it looked like a bloody mess and we were like, oh my gosh. You know, we were freaking out. And he goes, okay. He goes, now you have to care for it. He said, what it's going to happen is the skin is going to want to grow back over. And your job is every time you change his diaper to pull the skin down, clean it out, put Vaseline on it. Because if you don't, if you neglect, neglect the cleaning process, it will regrow and he will have to get a new circumcision. Okay? You see, when you were created a new creation, there is a process to where we have to learn to do things differently. 
because we go through a growing process. Even the Lord gained, um, growed in um, honor with, with people and with God, okay? There's a growing process that each and every one of us have to go through, but look at this. You are no longer a sinner, okay? You passed from death into life. There is a great distinction between saints and sinners. And you see what happens, even whether it's you're in sports or whether um, you're going to school to work with children, they always tell you, make sure you speak life because if you tell a kid that they're poor behaved, what's going to happen scientifically is you are going to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the more you tell that kid how poorly behaved he is, the more he will act out. And what we've done in church culture is we have created self-fulfilling prophecies where we go, I'm just a sinner and I'm just a mess. I don't know about you, but I am a new creation. I pass from death into life. I might stumble and I might fall, but I have to learn how to pull the skin back and clean it out because I do not want the skin to grow back over the head. No one's laughing now, good. I told you to get used to it, all right? This is the great distinction that happened when we went from death into life. You see, it's very possible that when you grew up, you were taught you are a sinner. God is good. He's great and he's glorious, but, but you're still a nasty, dirty sinner. And what that does, number one, is it neglects what it was that Jesus did on the cross because what you're saying is Jesus came and paid the ultimate price just to punch my ticket. I'm gonna be a mess, I'm gonna be broken and dirty, but one day I'm gonna go to heaven. I don't know about you, but I believe Jesus came to fulfill a lot more than that. Jesus came to fulfill a lot more than that. And if you believe, if you spend your entire life believing that you are a sinner, you will sin by faith. If you spend your entire life believing that temptation is sin, you will give up fighting because you will believe that that's all that you'll ever be. I believe that the Lord has called us to move from glory to glory, not from sin to sin. We have moved the verses around because we're, we feel that we are so dirty and so nasty. We go, well, I'm just a dirty, nasty sinner, and that's what I'm going to continue to do. And we think that the scripture tells us to move from sin to sin, and we embrace religion instead of embracing scripture that says to move from glory to glory. And that's what you're called to do. You are called and to clean out your fresh circumcision. Because when you're a new believer, you are an infant. That, that is being fed by milk. You're not to the point yet where you can sustain yourself. And if you believe that you can go on living without cleaning yourself, without holding your thoughts captive, without creating and helping this new nature grow, because all flesh isn't bad, Paul uses it in positive context and don't have the time to get to it today, but you are called to grow your new flesh. You are no longer a sinner. He goes on to say in Romans chapter seven, this is verse five and six. I'm gonna eventually do a study on the book of Romans, guys, because you really have to read Romans five, six, seven, and eight. I know it's a lot in one sitting. If you don't read it in one sitting, you'll read Romans chapter four and five and walk away with the false grace message. If you read just Romans six, you'll walk away like a Pharisee. You have to read Romans four, five, six, seven, and eight to get it all in context, all right? So I'm gonna try to give you some nuggets, but eventually we're gonna be really diligent with the study. But this is Romans chapter seven, verse five and six. I love this, here we go. When we were, someone say were. were. When we were controlled by our old nature. 
sinful desires were at work within us, and the law aroused these evil desires that produced a harvest of sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now, say but now, but now we have been released from the law, for we died to it. All right, in Romans chapter six, Paul says 28 times you're dead. You're dead, you're dead, you've been dead, you were dead, and you're dead. And in chapter seven, I didn't count them, but he says it a whole bunch of times again, you died to the power of sin. You died to it, okay, you're dead. You know, again, this chapter seven, only in verse five, and he says it again, you died to it and are no longer captive to its power but now can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but a new way of living in the spirit. All right, now throughout chapter seven, after this distinction, Paul starts to talk about this um, interesting encounter about what it was like when he was a Pharisee. And he explains how the, the law isn't evil, but the law is good, but it doesn't empower us to do good, okay? So the law was given to reveal that we are sinful, and he goes on to explain that the law revealed that he was sinful, but while he was under the law, the law did not give him grace to overcome it, okay? And it's in this portion of scripture where Paul says, um, Paul says, I want to do what is good, but I can't, I do what I don't want to do, which is evil. And in this portion of scripture, Paul is talking about his time as a Pharisee. Just a few verses later, he says in Romans 7, verse 24, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? If you think that is Paul talking in current context, we're going to have some conflict here. Because all throughout the scripture, he talks about who has freed us from the power of death. And what people do is they take this passage out of Romans chapter seven, they go, look, Paul struggled with sin, so I'm justified in my pornography addiction. Paul struggled, so I'm justified in, in my lustful desires. And what we do is we try to normalize sin. We've taken the scripture out of context. Again, Paul tries to explain that we're no longer under the law. And he uses the example of the husband and the wife, how you're only bound to the husband as long as the husband lives. But when the husband dies, you are free. The passage isn't about marriage. The passage is about the sin nature and how we have been died. He says it 28 times in chapter six, you are dead. Your sinful nature has been cut away. Sin is not normal. It is common, okay? If you are living in sin, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to tell you there's a better way. This isn't condemning. This is great and glorious news. Why would you want to live like that? There is a better way. There's a better way. You weren't called to struggle. You're not meant to, to oh, I'm just struggling with my, with my old man. No, you're practicing necromancy and raising the dead man and believing that he still has power over you. He has been killed. He's dead. He's gone. And whether or not you choose to continue to indulge in sexual sin is up to you. Because you can still sin without a sin nature. Look at Adam. All right, Adam lived in a heaven on earth, but he still sinned. Why? Because we can know something's wrong and do it anyway, even without a sin nature. 
And that is what believers do today. They've had a sin nature removed. They've been circumcised, but they haven't cleaned it out. They haven't taken care of it, so the skin starts to regrow. Adam sinned even without a sin nature, and that's what we do today. And we go, well, I'm still sinning. Yeah, you're sinning by faith because you believe you're a sinner. And you'll continue to have a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm not saying that you're going to arrive one day to where you, you never stumble and you never screw up. But what I'm saying is you have a new nature. Outburst of anger is not normal for you. Allie and I have been married for over four years. Neither one of us has ever raised our voice at the other one. All right? I'm not saying we never will. I'm just saying that's so outside of our character. I can't even imagine Allie raising her voice. I can't imagine me raising her, my voice at her. That doesn't mean we're, we're perfect. That means that that's not our normal. We have a nature that is called to be like Christ, not like the enemy. Let's keep reading, because this is fun. All right, so right after chapter seven, are you guys following me? So, so Paul explains this process. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Again, this is the place where people get weird theologies. Just a few verses later, when we get into chapter eight, look what he says, chapter eight, verse two. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you. Say, I'm freed. Paul answered his question that he rose just a few verses later. Who will free me? He answers it in chapter 8, verse 2. The life-giving spirit has freed you. All right, he goes on just a few verses later in verse 9. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Say, I'm not controlled by my sinful nature. I am not controlled by my sinful nature. I am not controlled by my sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, and remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. You are not a sinner. If you continue to believe that you're a sinner, you'll continue to sin by faith. You will continue to have self-fulfilling prophecies in your life. That doesn't mean you're not gonna stumble. That doesn't mean you're not gonna mess up because you see you're a baby that's on milk and the baby's gonna learn how to walk. He's gonna learn how to run. It's a process from glory to glory, not from sin to sin. You are called to be great. You are called to be like Jesus. All right, John says in his letter, again, we talked about a little bit in 1 John, he's explaining the process of salvation. If you claim that you do not have sin, you are a liar. He's talking about entering into the kingdom. Okay, and he gets to chapter two and he starts to address believers. Are you ready? I mean, he's addressing believers the whole time, but he's explaining that you got me. All right, 1 John chapter two, verse three, okay? And he says, we can be sure that we know him. Oh, no. First John chapter two, verse one. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Okay? He's writing this to you so that you will not sin. Say, but, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. What is John saying? Sin isn't normal. Sin isn't normal, but if some of you guys are still, you know, messing up and you sin, that's okay. You have an advocate, and the reason why you need an attorney to go before you in front of the Father is because the Father reveal, re, 
He took away every single reason that you would have to sin. So now you need an advocate to stand in the middle because sin isn't normal. This isn't to condemn you. This is to give you really good news that you can have a better life. Because sin, from sin, um, you know, comes all of this nasty stuff, broken relationships, hurting hearts, depression, worry, and through the Spirit comes the fullness of life. And that's what the Father intends for you. Sin isn't normal. But if you sin, that's okay because you have a Father, you have Jesus Christ who's going to plead your case as your advocate and go, you know what, that one's not on me. I know, I know John fell, fell short right there, but that one's on me. And he looks at you and he goes, we don't condemn you, but we can do it better next time. That's what the process is like. We might trip, we might fall, but we're gonna learn how to walk and run because we're not moving from sin to sin, but from glory to glory. John goes on in verse three, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And this is, this is what I want for me, but this is what I want for you guys. I want you to live your lives as Jesus did. I want that with all of my heart. That doesn't mean you're not gonna mess up, that you're not gonna fall short, that you're not gonna miss the mark. That's the definition of sin, missing the mark. We're all gonna do those things, but we are called for greatness. We're gonna keep pushing forward, keep growing, because sin isn't normal following the Lord is. We are called to live our lives like Jesus did. John says in verse five, he continues, and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him and understand who he is. Anyone else still wanna identify as a sinner? but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning. They do not make a practice of sinning. It's outside of their nature. It doesn't come normal. It's not natural because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Now, again, we want conviction, guys. Conviction is a beautiful thing because we need to know when we fall short because we don't wanna do it again. So if you have certain things that are coming to mind and you feel kinda bad about it, you don't want condemnation, but you do wanna feel bad about your sin 
because we want to honor God with all that we have. That doesn't mean we look at ourselves and we go, man, you're such a screw up. You're a dirty sinner. You're shameful. It means that we go, next time we can do it better. Next time I'm not going to continue to look. I'm going to hold my thoughts captive because I realize that temptation is not sin. Next time when fear grips my heart and I want to start to go down the road of worry and anxiety, I'm going to realize that I am not called to live like that. I'm called to not worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. I'm called not just to live a life in response of culture and religion, but in response to scripture. And I wonder, do you live your life as Christ lived his? Because that's the goal. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for all these little babies is to get to see parents that are living their lives as Christ lived his. I want them to grow up in a household that's strong, full of love, courage, humility, and we don't get that by just going through life and doing whatever we want. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. I might want... Um, you know, greed now. I might want jealousy now. Nobody says it, but it's the way that we behave. But I'm going to choose out of my own will to follow God's commandments because I love Him. All right. Now that we are a new man, we need to continue to grow and strengthen our new flesh. I'm not saying that we ever arrive, but what I'm saying is we're called to move from glory to glory, not from sin to sin. And that is a whole lot different than I'm prone to do evil, and that's who I'll always be. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have a really difficult time finding verses that say I am a sinner. I can find them from before salvation, But for you to argue the point that you are a nasty, dirty sinner, I don't believe you can debate it with scripture. We are called to move from glory to glory and that's the life that God intends us to have. And that's the good news, the uplifting message on Mother's Day that I'm I'm inviting you guys into to make sure that when we leave this building, when we have interactions with our neighbors and our coworkers that we never condemn, that we always love them through sin and we don't affirm them in it. I want to make sure that you have an understanding of what sin is, that it's not just temptation, it's a choice. I can stay pure through temptation. You're not called to sin. You're called to move from glory to glory. All right? So we're going to pray, and then we are going to do something else, and you're not allowed to leave. All right, so God, thank you for um, this great and glorious opportunity to get to read your scripture and to know more about you. I just ask that your word will fall on good soil, that you'll convict our hearts. Um, if I said anything that was offensive or too far, I just ask that you would, um, you would make yourself known, that you would work in the midst of an um, interesting messenger, Father, that your way would be known and that we would live our lives in reflection to you. In your name, amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.